Radio 4 News. The Attorney-General has called for an inquiry into how torture techniques came to be used by British troops in Iraq. A senior Conservative has defected to Labour and there's to be cash help for areas hit by floods. More on all that in Today in Parliament in half an hour. First on BBC Radio 4, the writer John Ronson captures the unfolding stories, both good and bad, at this year's Glastonbury Festival. The Glastonbury Festival is a fantastic thing. 180,000 people come together to form a town for three days with great music and food and an incredibly low crime rate, and then the town just vanishes again. It's a festival of 180,000 unfolding stories, and mine is that on day two, I have a meltdown due to all the rain. That guy there, were you recording that? He just um, had those like, sort of little bells on his fingers and he went ding, 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 but right in my face. But, you know, as if, um, you know, this is how enchanting I am. I'm this enchanting. That's, yeah, I didn't like that. That was too much enchantment. That was like an invasion, an invasion of my personal space. This is the, the camping site. Um, yeah. I think the person, the person here who looks most unhappy is the comedian Janie Godley, um, who, who really doesn't seem to be seeing the bright side at all. I don't know what it is that's gone wrong, but she just seems very miserable. It's eight o'clock in the morning and a very drunk man just came up to me and said, it's like sticky toffee pudding, like sticky toffee pudding. And I said, I'm just going to get a coffee. And he said, you better mind the mud, it's like sticky toffee pudding. And I could smell the whiskey on his breath. And I thought Glastonbury is such a place of shattered lives. <laughs> There's Janie. Hello. You've been stomping around like you're not enjoying the festival. I am, I just hate the mud. I hate the mud in the rain. I'm off it old with the mud. And it's like walking through glue and I need to walk, I've got a glass It's like walk. sticky toffee pudding. <clears throat> no, it's really like evil stick glue. It's as gluey glue, and I'm used to having a right wee Glasgow walk where I can go stompy stomp stomp, and here I'm like, I think it reminds me what I'm going to be like when I'm really old and I can't make it. Maybe that's what it is. Psychologically, I'm frightened that's how I'm going to walk when I'm 70. Yeah. <clears throat> but... I saw you yesterday and you, you seem to be, uh, the sort of Glastonbury spirit seemed to be eluding you a bit. You, 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 I heard you mutter something about how you didn't trust anybody. No, I don't. I, I have this big issue with trust, but that's because I'm an EastEnder. I have to try and make sure that everything's safe and secure, and then I hide my computer, and I've, I've stashed all my cash, and I keep finding my daughter and saying, where is your bag? Where is my bag? Where is my chair? Where is everything? Have you got that? Don't move that. Shut that tent. Don't open the tent. Somebody's going to steal my shoes. And that's just psychologically mental. It's bad. And, and has anyone stolen anything? No. Nobody's stolen anything, but that's because I've had it really well. It's and starting to rain. Where will we go? Do you want to go out? It started to rain because that's what it does here. There's a special cloud comes over for Europe and it sets. It's called the Glastonbury Cloud. 
So this is this is the camping site where all the comedians are camping, isn't it? Yes, I am. It, yes, must, it just must be one big barrel of laughter the whole time. Do you just hear laughter coming out of every tent? What, are you mental? <laughs> no, you don't. All you hear is... Oh, you can you can just smell eagle for every tent. <laughs> Do you hear out of every tent the words, uh, is that funny? Will I use that? Will I use that on stage? Was that funny? <laughs> no, I've not heard that at all. That's yeah. not what we do. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. That's your, just your crazy warped imagination, John. Do you, out of every tent, do you hear people go, look, there's that, uh, he's not funny. He's yeah, not funny. Yeah, you hear that, yeah. Oh, look, there's her. She's she's not even a comedian. She's just a, a, an over-friendly cleaner that's wandered through, maybe to pick up her rubbish. Who, did, who said that about who? Somebody said that about me. I wasn't always feeling this miserable. In fact, last night I was so euphoric, I tried to get a Mexican wave of cheering going in the stone circle field. Hooray! Well, look, maybe it needs two people. Okay, should we do it together? Okay, two. Can I start, then you? Okay. Hooray! <laughs> Nothing. I've just read an article published by a left-wing website called Red Pepper. It's called The End of Glastonbury. In 2005, the Mean Fiddler, which owns 39% of the festival, was sold to the Clear Channel, a Bush-supporting American media empire that owns 1,200 radio stations. Let's see. They hired DJ Michael Savage after he was fired by the newsgroup MSNBC for telling a gay caller to get AIDS and die. Another one of their DJs has dropped a chicken from a third-storey balcony to see if it can fly and executed a steer live, um, which was broadcast on 129 radio stations. And now they own 50% of 39% of the Glastonbury Festival. So I'm going to go and see Melvin Benn, who is the man in charge of the Mean Fiddler. I look after everything that happens, in a way, really. I hold the entertainment licence, uh, I hold the liquor licences. I manage everything, effectively. Michael does all the sort of creative bits, uh, and I do everything else. I was given this sort of pamphlet okay. about you being taken over by um, the Clear Channel. Right, OK. It's public uh, knowledge, But I've got to say, I mean, I just I can't believe some of the things that are in this, so I thought I should come and ask you what... OK, well, do ask me. I haven't seen it, so okay. do ask me the questions. I don't know. There's something about castrating pigs. <laughs> um, um, I'm, a very, I'm a very strict <laughs> vegetarian, and the idea that I would be castrating pigs is pretty remote. Uh, I think it's your parent company that's castrating <laughs> the pigs, not you. Well, it's... Uh, here we go. It, you... It, <laughs> It would be interesting that that could be perceived as criticism, if it is indeed true, while we're sat on a working dairy farm where the cows are milked for their milk and then sent off to the knacker's yard. Ah, but you're not broadcasting the live castrating and killing of a pig and then posting the pictures on your website, <laughs> which is what a Clear Channel DJ in Florida called Todd Clem, uh, uh, apparently, has done. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the, the, the bigger question, which, because um, I don't think anybody could lay the pig castration uh, blame at your feet, um, I, I suppose the bigger question is, you know, should you be responsible? Are you tainted 
by the huge organisation that that ran you, that took you over? Well, I, I can... <laughs> um, Clear Channel bought 50% of the Mean Fiddler and as part of a live music entertainment holding that they held, that worldwide entertainment holding actually didn't sit in the strategy of what Clear Channel is. And so they sold the live music section of their business uh, and put it out to the stock market and it was sold into a new company called Live Nation. And so, no, we are no longer part of the castrating pig uh, organisation. Actually, the president of Live Nation is the vice president of the Clear Channel. Um, the reality is uh, we are all tainted in our lives, come what may. Uh, we all have got and uh, are associated with things that we probably wish we weren't. Straight down to Las Vegas, please. For the old-style festival-goer, the pure heart of Glastonbury is personified by an apparently magical old hippie who runs an amazing corner of the festival called Lost Vagueness. His name's Roy Gervitz, and on my way to find him, I bump into an old friend of his called Nettie. The first ever Glastonbury that Roy came to, he was my hitchhiker and uh, he'd sort of flagged me down at a site we'd been living on outside Yate, which is near Bristol, and we were all going to Glastonbury and I had a little truck that I was living in and he hopped in because he didn't have a vehicle at the time and we sort of somehow, one way or another, got ourselves in here and uh, yeah, he came to his first ever Glastonbury as my hitcher, so he actually tells people that it's my fault, Lost Vegas. <laughs> if I'd never brought him, it wouldn't be happening, but we've come a long way since then. As Nettie tells me her hitchhiking story, a bad memory of two days ago pops into my head. On the way down here, I thought I'd get into the spirit of things by picking up a hitchhiker. And as soon as she got into the car, I said, do you want a biscuit? And she said, no, thank you. And I said, go on, have a biscuit. And she kind of looked at me all frightened. Ah, she thought they were drugged. She thought obviously. they were, yeah, she thought that she thought I'd poisoned yeah. the biscuits. Yeah. Just in case you would come across a hitchhiker. Yeah, but of course she then got that into her head. And there's not, everything I said was further evidence that I was a psychopath. <laughs> and then she said, will you just drop me off? Yeah. And I said, um, I know there's a petrol station down this road, I'll drop you off there. So I turned off the motorway, but I, it was the wrong road, and it was like a long, narrow, dark road that went on forever. Oh. And I said, the, the petrol station's going to be round the corner any minute. Do you want a biscuit? Um, anyway, it just it ended so badly that I thought I'm never going to pick up hitchhikers again. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I should have done the same. Straight down for Las I'm determined to find Roy because he's repeated to be Glastonbury's twinkly-eyed personification, but he's gone off somewhere, so instead I head for dinner with the comedian Danny Robbins. As we were walking for dinner, I saw a young man, very thin, crazy-looking eyes, with a spray can spraying really ugly graffiti all over the wall like he couldn't stop himself. So I sent Daddy Robbins off to ask him why he was doing it. I saw you graffitiing. Yeah. Why are you doing that? Because I'm putting my name up. All over the side? Yeah. And your name just looked like a big white squiggle. It is, yeah. What is it? It's my name. Why are you doing that to the glass from side though? Because I want everyone to know I'm here. And there's no chance you can be anonymous then, though? I am anonymous, but people that know me will know I'm here. 
people that know my name through reputation will know, oh look, there he is, he's here. Are there a lot of people here who will know your name? There is. Because like, if you were doing that in London, like going around the walls in London, what would happen to you? I'd get nicked. But here in Glastonbury everyone just says it's okay? Well, everyone here has paid £100 to come to a music festival, so none of them are busybodies or neighbourhood watch types, so they're not going to be like, oh look, he's t put a tag on the wall and uh, let's get him nicked. Is that quite nice as a graffiti artist then? Yeah. If you did my tent, I'll, I'll be honest, I would be a bit annoyed. Exactly. But if I do them bins, you're going to look at it and you're going to think, oh, well, it's, it's a bin. But couldn't you do something more creative than your name, though? Couldn't you do, like, a, say... someone a, paid me to, yeah. Could you do a flower or, like, a, a dog? I do a flower, but I like the look of my name. I think it looks stylish the way I do it. I think it's like... <laughs> done. Seconds. <laughs> what, what's your name? Ah, that I can't tell you. Really? That's incriminating. But so, could I work it out from your swiggle, though? You could try. Is it a magical name? I don't know about magical. I'm kind of intrigued by this need to have your name all around Glastonbury, though. What, what is it? Why is it your name's got to be there? You've got to be a graffiti artist to know. You've got to be a tagger to know. You've got to, you've got to know other people that are going to be. It's, it's a whole world in its own that you probably couldn't even begin to consider or I, conceive the idea of. I think if I saw my name all around Glastonbury, I'd start to feel a bit paranoid. If you didn't write it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So are you going to do it every single day of the festival? No, I'm working. That's what? That's incriminating too, because then you can come and get me. Really? But if I see you around the site again, I'll, I'll know, I will know you, because I'll know your face. Yeah. But I won't tell anyone. No, but that's neither here nor there. It's your word against mine. And I know you've got it on film, I mean, it's video. It's a microphone, yeah. But you can't prove that it's me that's saying what I'm saying. Oh, okay. I'd have to take a photo of you saying it as you said it. Yeah. And I haven't got yeah, my camera on me. I know, I, I haven't filmed you, it's just for radio. Yeah. But um, what's it going to be on? It's on Radio 4. Is it? So your name will be on Radio 4 now, except you haven't actually told us what it is. I'm leaving my mark, like a dog does. <laughs> oh, you've got paint on your hands. It won't come off. Oh, OK, all right, there we go. OK. See? You're fine. Goodbye. He wouldn't tell me his name. But as I thought back over our conversation, I realised that, like many criminal masterminds, he'd made one crucial mistake. Hello, I'm Danny. Hello, I'm Charlie. I finally bump into Roy Gervitz, the old hippie creator of Lost Vagueness. It's mind-bogglingly complicated and it's uh, compounded by weather conditions, idiots and uh, other sorts of people that make it all more complicated. And then when you just think you're getting it all sorted, all the public turn up and make more problems. It's an amazing achievement, a series of Baroque tents with striptease artists and a casino and a 50s trailer park. I thought Roy would be pretty proud of what he's created, but he's actually very upset. A previous Las Vegas employee has taken two airplane cockpits and put them in another field called Trash City. Some renegade Las Vegas people have surreptitiously run away with two airplane cockpits, which are clearly Las Vegas. They're internationally recognised. Even now, there's people walking up here going, "Oh, there's another Las Vegas diner down there." To compound matters, the people with the aeroplane cockpits are calling themselves the new Lost Vagueness. They're not the new Lost Vagueness. I think legally I've been sort of informed that that's called passing off. 
Roy says he has no recourse but to sue Trash City. It's a sad day that that is what we have to do to protect our interests, otherwise it just leaves it just leaves the whole of Las Vegas open for anyone who fancies any of it to just pick it up and carry it away. But to play devil's advocate for a minute, Roy, here you are in this fantastic, you know, tent with a casino and a roller disco and a church and this wonderful trailer park, you know, and this fantastic corner of the festival, yet you seem to be focusing your mind on this one small bad thing that's happened. Well, I think it's like a situation, like, a, you know, a pack of cards, you know, you take one out of the bottom, the whole thing becomes very fragile. It's only one card and you've got another 51 left, but the whole pile are then in danger of falling over. Roy says the moving of the two airplane cockpits from Lost Vegas to Trash City is a conspiracy to destroy him, conducted by the festival kingpins Michael Evis and Melvin Benn and the Mean Fiddler and the Clear Channel. Since the 90s, there has been extraneous efforts by both the authorities, the licensing people, the council, the police, to try and remove the so-called this element. But there is clearly jealousy and other people realising, wow, that's a good idea, we could do that, and uh, maybe we could do it cheaper if we got rid of Roy and Las Vegas, and maybe we could, you know, I don't know what their theology behind it is. Do you think and, they do uh, want to find a way to get rid of you, Roy? Well, lost vagueness or component parts of it are now moving to a bigger, more open area. Melvin Benn, uh, you know, I can remember, I can quote him on this, said that that would never happen. However, it clearly is happening, isn't it? I take Roy's accusations to Melvin Benn, the man who runs the Glastonbury Festival. Roy was saying that he was um, thinking about suing Trash City for stealing one of his cockpits, and I said getting involved in the legal process in such a way in some ways makes him no better than a pig castrator. Well, I, I mean, I've been having this discussion with Roy um, for about nine months um, over the two cockpits. It culminated yesterday afternoon uh, at 2.58 when I was called, um, told that Roy was going to descend with his two tanks on Trash City. Uh, and actually and, demolish it. And destroy the cockpits that he claims he owns. Quite honestly, one of uh, the Trash City guys did go to find a chainsaw uh, in order to cut the two cockpits in half and give half each to Roy and half each to Phil. Um, so it, it is very much that. It occupied my entire day yesterday. I finished my last discussion with Roy at 2 o'clock this morning, um, only to be radio just before eight o'clock this morning to say that the cockpit that was the offending cockpit hadn't been taken away. I hope things don't get too bloody with trash this year. I hope, I hope it all calms down. Well, I think that we won some ground yesterday because well, I haven't seen it for myself, but I hear tell that this morning one of the uh, offending articles, said planes, has now been removed. And I, I have been told that uh, by tomorrow the second one will be removed as well. And brought back here? No, sadly not. The decision uh, finally was made that the planes would uh, not be used by anybody. And that seemed to be the fairest thing. There was, there was an option on us having one each. I just wanted them both to be put somewhere else. You know, I, I said that both of them should just be put in a nice, pleasant field and have a quiet weekend. So I think I care about them more than they do.
Apparently the most dangerous place to be is the perimeter fence of midnight, which is where the battles break out between security and the outsiders trying to break in. So I sent Danny Robbins there. Do you think we'll see any people trying to get over the fence tonight? Uh, that's possible. Um, last night uh, there were a number of attempts to get over. In fact, one person put a ladder up against the fence and did manage to get over. So what should we be looking out for? Well, we're looking out for, um, particularly when we go up the top end where the woods are, you'll see eyes peeping out. As you go around, they'll be picked up in the headlights as though it's a rabbit stung in a headlight. You, you see people waiting in the woods for darkness to fall. I said to you earlier, this, it's very wooded and people will sit in the woods there and wait oh, for the That could be something, ring. that could be action. It could be. Shall we answer it and see? Let's see what is it. Ryan Schofield, how can I help you? Hello, Simon. Right. Okay. Well, you have a good party. So, someone's graffitied the fence there, Ryan. Yes, it's, it's graffitied in a few places. You have to bear in mind that the fence isn't only used here, it's used at other events as well, but um, we wouldn't have people out here graffitiing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I saw a crime taking place earlier. Did you report it? Um, I, I'm kind of reporting it to you now, I guess. Um, I saw someone going around with a graffiti can spraying things with his name. Um, I thank you for reporting it now. It would have been more useful had you reported it at the time, but, but picking up on that, we, we spend thousands of pounds a year paying for damage that are done by graffiti artists. Do you feel like you're on a mission against them? Yes, of course. It, it, if you like, it's a war for me. I thought I saw something in the woods there a minute. Pulled up and having a look in, but I, I think there was nothing there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think my eyes are playing tricks on me. Is there something going down? Thank you. I've just received information that there may be somebody in a black Land Rover with a blue light on the top. They're acting as a paramedic in the Lost Vegas area. Hold on. That's the van, that's it over there. Let's let, let, go over there, let's go and talk to him. Hello. Um, we're from Radio 4, can we talk to you very quickly? Yeah, come on in. Um, last night we were driving around the security fence with the security people yeah. and we heard reports of someone driving around in a van with a light on the top of it. Yeah. Uh, who was a paramedic. Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah. Because I just saw your van and you had the light on the top. Yeah. I wonder if it was you they were talking about. Yeah, it might well have been. And are you, are you a paramedic? Uh, no, I'm an A&E nurse, which is similar, well, uh, we're in the same game anyway. <laughs> they said they were worried that whoever it was was pretending to be a paramedic and wasn't, but did they go and talk to you? Uh, no, they are aware of us actually, but there's an awful lot of confusion goes on around here and a lot of people don't know we've been here for six years doing this and Glastonbury Festival only found out about us so they claim this year but every year they just find out about us and then they forget about us again till next year. Am I the only person to have looked for you though? I don't know who's been looking for me. You're the only person that's found me. I can't believe we just saw the man in the black van with the light on top that um, they were talking about on the security radio. 
uh, we've actually tracked him down when the security haven't. And I think he was okay. He seemed all right. But I'm going to call Brian and tell him that I, I, I found him. Uh, hello, Brian. It's Danny from Radio 4 here. I feel like I've spent all day tramping around, finding nothing but bad. I bump into the comedian Phil Kay, a wise man, who says something I don't understand about good and bad not existing. Because there really is no good and bad, there's just an event, isn't there? That's why people come here, so the mud becomes a thing to talk about, so it becomes great for the comedians who've got a mud to talk about. Or the mud becomes the thing that is in. And that's just, that's just when the metaphor becomes really obvious, it's like a diamond. Everything's just an event. And so you just want to list the events of your life and the things that occur. And if you get into the thing of some things being really good, then you stick to them, then that can be trouble, you know. Because then they've got to occur for you to be happy. When If you've made no plans, and then nothing can ever go wrong. And Glastonbury, that's secretly why everyone loves it, because you come and you find out that it's all, we're all just a, a bunch of humans moving around the earth. That's about it. And after that, any definitions get quite hard to kind of stick to and maintain and get everyone to agree with. The rain starts again, so I run for cover to the nearest awning, where I find a man whittling. Hi, how are you? I'm John. Hi, how are you doing? This is uh, Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. What a day. We came to shelter from the rain with you. Yeah, no worries. No worries. I thought, and you're whittling? Yeah, I guess you'd call it whittling. I mean, this is a shave horse. Yeah. And uh, I'm making a a stool leg, basically. To make a three-legged milking stool, it's so a you posh could way of whittling, really. posh whittling, yeah. yeah. You know, my son uh, asked me. My son's eight, and he asked me quite recently if he could have a knife. Um, and I said, "What for? You mean for whittling?" And he said, "Yes." And then my wife said, um, "You're buying us. You're buying him a weapon with his history of interest <laughs> in weaponry." And I said, "He wanted to whittle." And he said, "Yeah." Anyway, later, well, later on he admitted that what he really wanted to do with the knife was defend himself. Right. And he said, well, the reason why I knew that is he said, yeah, I did want the knife for that thing that you said. I said, well, whistling. He said, yeah, whistling and defending myself. Okay. <laughs> Whereas you're doing what you're supposed to do with a knife. You're making something. We are, yeah, basically being, being creative with it, which is good, you know, which is all good. Rain's back. The rain is back. We're running basically green woodworking workshops where people can come along and you can make basically over a few hours a three-legged milking stool. So potentially throughout, you basically make the stool and then you could go off at the end of it and milk a cow if you wanted to. And are you having much take-up? We haven't had that many punters, no, but um, I suppose it's the commitment issue, you know, people don't want to commit eight hours or something to making a, making a stool, but... Uh, Not with the ticket's 160 quid. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Tickets are expensive, it's so. Not a light hour, I've got one somewhere, yeah. My one. Well, it's like one stool or eight bands. <laughs> Although I tell you, with the weather like this, I'd rather make a stool. I'd rather be making a stool under here than watching the Arctic monkeys in the rain. <laughs> it was the rain that had brought me and the Whittler together. My meltdown was over. I suddenly began to love Glastonbury again. Later, my car got stuck in the mud and 20 people ran over to help. In Glastonbury, people help you out all the time. I wondered if it might be possible to lose myself here completely, unshackle myself from all my burdens. I decided to give it a try. 
Would I succeed? Find out in next week's programme. John Ronson on Glastonbury was written and presented by John Ronson. It was produced by Simon Jacobs and Laura Parvid and was a unique production for BBC Radio 4. In a moment, today in Parliament, first we have news of a special edition of the hit BBC Radio 4 comedy that recently won the Broadcasting Press Guild Award for Radio Programme of the Year. <laughs> Tony Blair, ten long years. Did you care about our hopes and fears? Now we'll have to survive like Ray Mears. <laughs> That's political satirist Paul Butler there with a rap about Tony Blair. Paul's going to be my guest in a one-off down-the-line special where we will be giving you the chance to rap about ten years of Tony Blair. <laughs> Do you think he was a good Prime Minister? Do you think he was bad? Maybe you don't have an opinion at all. If so, call in and let us know what your opinion isn't. This Wednesday at half past six. This is BBC Radio 4. Now to Westminster, where flooding and defections were the focus today in Parliament. Order! Order! Hello, this is David Wilby at Westminster. Tonight, the government promises cash help for the areas worst hit by the floods. MPs speak up for the victims. There is a sense of profound shock in Sheffield that our wonderful city could be reduced to something resembling a war zone in the space of a few hours. A senior Conservative defects to Labour, so ministers taunt the Tories. The size of the Parliamentary Labour Party is one bigger. I think his own benches are one depleted, so we've got good cause to be cheerful. And the Attorney-General calls for an inquiry into how torture techniques came to be used